Hi folks, how you doing? Hope this finds you well. It's a busy old time, there's so many great things. I've just watched um, The Keller on Netflix with Mr. Michael Fassbender, who you can also get excited about seeing in Taika Waititi's new film, Next Goal Wins, which is coming your way on Boxing Day. I've seen it. It's so good. Also, I was lucky enough to see a preview of Poor Things this week, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos' film. Oh, my giddy aunt. It is absolutely extraordinary. So we're hoping to have Yorgos on the show, possibly with his composer as well. But stay tuned, folks. News coming as we get it. But there's so many great things that we're very excited about you guys checking out. Also, we've got Emerald Fennell coming up next week to talk about Saltburn. You might have seen me posting about it. You might have seen some stuff about the film. I'll tell you more about that towards the end of the episode. But we recently had writer-director Charlotte Regan on the podcast to discuss her brilliant debut feature, Scrapper. And can we all say right now, huge congratulations for all the Biffa nominations. So deserved. Uh, and today we are following up on that episode with her composer, Patrick Johnson, who's also nominated. It's such great news. Uh, Scrapper, we absolutely adored this film. It tells the story of a young girl, Georgie, and her estranged father, Jason, who comes into her life for the first time following the death of her mother. Told very much from Georgie's perspective, the music had to communicate her innocence and wonder. So where better to start than with Patrick's main theme for her? <laughs> Yeah, really good, thanks. It's really lovely to have the opportunity to continue the conversation about this wonderful film and this great collaboration between you all, to be honest. So congratulations, first and foremost. It's a, my God, it's a great film. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and thank you for being so supportive of it. Like, it's such a special project uh, yeah. to have been involved in. And like, Charlotte's a legend. So like, oh, the fact that she, she invited me on board. She's like the funniest person in the world, too. Yeah. Which is, which is, like, has she I ever feel done just stand like up? Lucky that she's my friend. I feel like she should. Yeah. She'd be pretty good at it. I think. Like, I feel like every single Q and A she does is basically stand up. <laughs> How did you guys meet? How did you guys come to well, to know each other and and work together? I think she contacted me. She probably emailed or something. Uh, went after she had seen a film I worked on called The White Helmets. Uh, which was playing in Toronto at that time. And I think she had a film in Toronto the same year. And so she she reached out to me and, you know, it just shows like sort of what an incredible person she is to connect like this this movie about like 
you know, first responders in Syria documentary and then her world of what she's doing and like that I would be worth speaking to. And and she just asked if we I ever wanted to collaborate. And I was like, absolutely. Are you kidding? Like I saw her short and just the way she was too. And so that's how we met. That's amazing. I, I love that kind of really natural reaction that she's had to your music and to to your work. You know, it's connected with her. I feel really lucky that I think that a lot of the filmmakers that I am lucky enough to work with have sort of become friends because we've done short films together and we've sort of like grown up over time together and like been at various stages, but always just like, it's been really collaborative and sort of like open and stuff like that. And I think it's important that you have a kinship with the people you work with because uh, I may not be the right person for every job, but like with the people that, that I do connect with, you know, we have, sorry, we have a great way of communicating. But that's mostly down to the, the I think the, the directors and them being having a way to see that. And I'm just fortunate to be along on the ride. <laughs> that's a really healthy way to look at it, though, to understand and, and appreciate when it's maybe not the right project for you, as well as it being one that you really want to work on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been in places before where I've I've sort of been like, you know, are you sure that like, you know, or like let's bring in help because like I'd love to sort of like expand my horizon and like you know like let's tap into tap into this and like mind that person's mind for for ideas because that's really rich and then that becomes a collaboration and then like I'm a big fan of like many brains together versus just one brain you know (laughs) yeah yeah no one wants a dictatorship in filmmaking (laughs) yeah yeah do you mind me asking just about your your kind of journey into composing for for film and tv really so I'm half Swedish, half Polish, and my dad's Swedish, my mom's Polish. And so because of my dad's job, we ended up, I grew up in Malaysia. So I, I um, grew up in Kuala Lumpur. I was there from the age of eight to, to 18. My dad worked for Ikea. So it's like the most stereotypical Swedish thing <laughs> in the world. But, um, but that's where, where I grew up. And yeah. so, you know, I was in like weird, like I was in a gamelan when I was a kid. And, wow. uh, you know, like, yeah, that was crazy. And, but you know you just think it's normal but then it's just where you are in the world it's just a bit different and and I was in like a punk band and we played the underground scene there and I was just thinking to myself actually recently that like it's weird because they couldn't do cigarette advertising because of some law that they had there so a lot of the music cd shops would be sponsored by like cigarette companies and so you'd walk into these like uh shops and you, it's just like super subconscious advertising to all the children who are buying records, I guess. Um, but I remember going to the CD shops so I, like, and the access that we had to a lot of the like Western music was, you know, mo- it was mostly like Backstreet Boys and stuff like that. So you had to like go through other channels to like yeah. find the. But anyway, yeah. So I basically was asked like, what do you want to do when you grow up in school? And I by a counselor and I said that I wanted to um, probably do music because I had had seen some role model that like I was like oh that that person's really cool so like I'm gonna copy what they do and they went to Berkeley College of Music so I applied to just one school and fortunately I got in yes and um so I <laughs> I, I studied in Boston which was amazing and wow. I, I met my met my now now wife there we got together and then she graduated a year before me so she came to London to do a master's and so I followed her across the Atlantic to be for us to be closer to home and then I was like there's a gap in my not technical knowledge. Like I study composition and all that side of things, but I, so I applied to a music studio and I was lucky to get in because I think I 
came at it from a slightly different side than like if you were an engineer and you know you get another engineering cv which you know yeah for people it's difficult but i think that's why you know it piqued the interest of the studio manager and so i got in there and then after two years the the head engineer quit and moved on to another job so i became the de facto engineer of this place and i didn't know anything i was just making it up as i went along basically it's the story of my my life me too me too like, project I'd, I'd be googling <laughs> yeah I'd be Googling, like, how do you record so-and-so instrument? And they're in the live room over there. And, like, obviously, <laughs> I, you know, kept that very hush-hush. But, yeah, and one day someone walked in, a guy named Orlando von Einzidel, which is a, he's a fantastic documentary filmmaker. And he wrote a film yeah. called Skatistan, which later went on to go into Sundance. You know, I was supposed to do day one. I was supposed to do the sound design. Day two, I was supposed to do the mix. So, you know, that was my job on that gig. So we did the sound design, and then he went home, and I was like, the film was on my system and I was thinking we had talked about how he didn't, you know, didn't quite have it worked out with the music on the music side of things. So I was like, I'm going to score the film. Uh, so I stayed late that night and scored the opening of the film. And then when he came in the next morning, I was oh, coffee and I was like, Hey, um, uh, I scored the opening of the film. Do you want to see what I've done? And thankfully he liked it. And we've been working on many films since then. The next film he went on to do was, it started off as a small film. He's like, I'm doing a film in Congo, Eastern Congo, DRC. And it turned out to be like, become a bigger film. Leonardo DiCaprio came on board and it sort of like, yeah, it went on to be nominated for an Oscar. So what Orlando's was that? done fantastically well. And it's called Virunga. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a great film. I'm just really thankful that Orlando kept inviting me back. And I think it's really lovely as well, because for me as well, kind of coming through what I've done as well, I think having an appreciation and getting the opportunity to to work in different departments along the way, you know, it gives you a really wonderful insight into all the different jobs that people do, how much work's involved, what the different areas do as well. And it's really extraordinary when you look back on the films that you've worked on and different, you know, with different hats on sort of thing. And it's such a varied and wonderful mix of things that you've you know you had different things and whether it's kind of animation on things like brave or my week with marlin or rise the planet of the apes or thor or all that kind of stuff i'm citing those ones just because people will kind of know those titles but it just gives an insight into the the variety of things that you've you've worked on in different guises but all of that feeds into you it's like little tools that you have with you along the way that you could choose to use or not use or you know it's kind of you learn things along the way that you want to keep with you and other things that you want to recycle, disperse of whatever sort of thing. It's amazing when you look back on this. Yeah, no, it's 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 like such a, a rich pool of stuff that you don't even know that you know kind of thing. And like yeah. it gives you an appreciation for how difficult it is to make a great film in the first place and like how, you know, the editing, the cinematography, the acting, like absolutely everything, the directing. And but then like also, you'll yeah, like you said, like, for example, my week with Marilyn, you're in a room. And then like in the corner are the scores for like from Conrad Pope's score for that film, which and he's like long time 
orchestrator for John Williams. So you're like, can I take a peek at the scores for five minutes? <laughs> and then just those five minutes, it's just like, gold. you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and like, yeah. And then it's like, okay, cool. Let's keep that in my back pocket for a few years, you know? And like, you're so right. Let's get back to Scrapper because I had such a happy, beautiful time chatting to, to Charlotte about this film. After that initial kind of, you know, her reaching out to you, how did she introduce the film to you? Because it was really interesting as well from hearing from her kind of how the film, the original, you know, what it started off as, you know, she, she said it was supposed to be a, a grandma and her grandson on a kind of, um, on a road trip or something. I think she said, anyway, but it's, it's extraordinary mm-hmm. to think about kind of, you know, where something starts and through conversation, listening, collaboration, people you trust having an opinion it shifts and also listening it kind of can shift as well but what was the what was her introduction to this project for you so I, I think Charlotte's like a bit careful with scripts like she likes to like hold that close for a while and I, I totally appreciate that so she sent me like an early script of it and I read it and I thought this is brilliant this is just you know you're just sort of like workshopping it to like chisel it down to make it like squeaky clean but yeah. then it's like quiet for a bit and then quiet for a bit and then she's like we've changed the movie completely and I was like okay cool wicked awesome it was already great so like I'm excited Uh, but then she didn't send me that script for ages and like I kept being like hey so how's the script going but I think it's like a reflection like you say like where someone's at in their life and I think it's important that the work that you do or it's sort of inevitable that the work that you do is reflective of like where you're at I heard this, the podcast that you had with Charlene. It was great. And she talks a little bit about that her and I had gone through some difficult times at the same time. So we, we would meet up quite a lot and talk about sort of like difficult stuff and grief and stuff like yeah. that. And things that were like are very real things mm-hmm. that like everyone on the planet has gone through. But if you're not in that zone exactly at this, that moment, then it's hard to be on the same wavelength. But we were in the same wavelength that time when we talked a lot and stuff. So we talked a lot about that sort of stuff, just about like life stuff. And yeah. rather than talking about specifically filmmaking, and uh, but I think that it's such an essential part of the filmmaking because then when you start to like make the decisions as to the instrumentation or this and that, then it becomes informed by all of that stuff that you've already, you've been doing work for longer than you think kind of thing you know and I think just through conversations I think she gives so much freedom and so she but she knows what she wants and she Mm. challenges you and I have good examples of like how she challenges you but also leaves you alone and stuff like that and it's like yeah she's she's amazing she's the best I think that that's why the film is connecting so well with people because it's coming from a place of genuine emotion all of you have not been scared to to put your experiences in this film in some way, shape or form. And I think that that's one of the many reasons why it's really connecting with people because it feels so, I don't know, you can connect to it in a way. And it's not done through any manipulative way at all. It's just done in a in a, in a kind of really beautiful, colourful way, really, through comedy and through performance. And yeah, I think that that's, that, that for me is kind of, I, I, I kind of where you're, you're kind of immediately drawn to these characters and can resonate with their their reactions, their emotions, their not being able to face the reality of things, you know. So yeah, I hope you take that as a compliment. But yeah, I think that that's no mass- massively, yeah. It's, it's like disarming almost that you that there is 
color and comedy and like all that stuff and then you you like have license to access those places because there's yeah it's a bit disarming and kind of like not something you've always seen before and like mm. it's it feels quite real even though it's fantastical in many ways yeah. it's, it's strange how that works but it does and I think it, Charlotte just did such an amazing job. Was that something that you talked about though in terms of with the score you know of having these weighty themes you know with grief and that reconciliation between a daughter and her father you know he's been missing for years and stuff that's not an easy journey for anyone to take on both sides were those conversations that you had about with the score of almost kind of like trying to not lean too much into that emotionally you know in terms of so that you're not kind of leading the audience into feeling a certain way it had to be its own thing because I feel like it fits so beautifully like I think almost like what you say with the kind of color and the comedy and it's almost the support of that rather than being a support of the kind of the the grief and that sort of side of things. Does that make sense? Sorry, that's a weird question. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> you're, you're kind of spot on. I'm so glad that comes across because I think that like we always really wanted it to be from the perspective of Georgie and Georgie's a 12-year-old girl. And yeah. it's that thing of like kids always see things from a different place. I think they can always see the lightness in things and there's a positivity mm-hmm. and an inherent sort of curiosity and beauty to how they are and think. And so, like, I think if we could always be true to that and have it be from the perspective of Georgie, then it's we're allowed to have grief. We're allowed to have worry, concern, you know, all the dark stuff, but it's always sort of, like, framed around the place of that first, you know? Yeah. And, like, I think also, like, in terms of, like, instrumentation choices, like, she builds this giant tower of metal, which is, like, a physical representation of of the grief that she's going through and how she's working through that in her head I was like we need to tap into that and mm. access that and so I, was, I went into the studio with, with a fantastic percussionist named Paul, Paul Clarvis I sent Paul a, a photo of the of the tower and I was like it needs to sound like that so he brought all these <laughs> pieces of scrap scrap metal and old bicycle tires and like whatever awesome. chains so we just spent half a day like throwing chains across the studio and like banging on stuff. So that's like cool because it's in the film, but it's also like an immediate way to access Georgie's grief, but without being too overt, maybe because there's something about percussion instruments that sort of like leaves more space to breathe a little bit, yeah. I think sometimes. But that coupled with like, you know, woodwinds and other sort of like weird metallic instruments that you can't necessarily put your finger on what they are, but they hopefully that disarms you and lets you just feel it and it washes over you rather than you're like, oh, that's a string or that's a whatever. Then like this flurry of thoughts that is going through a 12-year-old's mind where she, she can't quite make sense of things and this sort of like whirling around her head. It's beautiful and warm at the same time. And anyway, that's what I tried to, to do.
terms of the the script, once once you've got that adaptation of the script, how how does it work with Charlotte in terms of knowing a how much music you need to create and where that's going to fit? Was that in the script at all? Was that something that kind of was worked through? You know, when you were while she was filming or or what? I think that um, she had songs in her mind that she went, that were I think pre- I'm pretty sure written into the script at least yeah a couple of them not not many but I think in terms of scoring like when we work with on Charlotte's films in general we try to keep music quite minimal we try to keep it so that it it's a storytelling device like there's a purpose for it being there when it comes in I mean everybody does it of course but like I think generally we keep it quite sparse and so there's not loads of music in the film but when yeah. it is there I think you, you, it's sort of you feel it or it sneaks up on you at least. I think most of that happened probably in conversations when they were starting to do an assembly. So we, we'd be chatting about things and like things we like and all this kind of stuff. But actual like getting to work was probably when I was like, oh, here's like a little sequence. And then I'd write something and it's like, oh, that's, that's crap. Start again. <laughs> like not, not quite, but you know, like, yeah, yeah. like it would be me. It be, could be me saying that, or it could be Charlotte being like, oh, like this, but don't like that. But, um, but yeah, it was very organic and, and, Although there's not much music in the film, it was one of the hardest films I've had to score. Was it? Tonally, yeah, because tonally trying to like straddle those lines is is not so easy. I feel like one could have gone in other directions quite easily, and yeah, but I want I wanted it to to feel true and honest and and everything, and hopefully like we could make it a bit weird too. Yeah. then did um the performances and the the relationships between those characters inform stuff like like Lola Lola on her own or you know Georgie and Ali or Georgie and her dad you know in terms of Alan and Lola and Harrison I mean the casting in the film was fantastic but particularly those three characters and the relationships they subsequently have with each other are just really quite phenomenal and they make me smile even just thinking about them. And so I wondered whether they informed anything specifically for you, whether that be, yeah, melody, sound, all of that, really. Yeah, 100%. Like, that was everything. So I started, like, you know, trying to find my way into the film and just started working on, like, a palette and everything like that. But, like, I think as a composer, you come in later, so, like, you don't know the film as well as the filmmakers do yet. It takes takes a minute. Yeah. And so, like, I always felt like there was a scene towards the end of the film where um, you hear Georgie listening to a voice note that she's not supposed to hear. 
but it's to her dad. You're talking about her from her mom and yeah. who's passed away. And so I felt like if I could unlock what that feels like, like what that relationship is between Georgie and her mom, then I feel like I'm unlocking also what her relationship is with her dad and what she's missing and what she wants, you know? And so I felt like it took a little while to find it. Yeah. But then when I sent that to Charlotte and she liked it, then I was like, okay, now we're sailing. You know, now, we, now we, we're going and we, I understand better what it is. interesting just in terms of that idea of there's a key almost to unlock it in a way you know and go okay we've got it let's go in and mm-hmm. see where we can go I think with that's it, so. to every film I, I really mm-hmm. think it is like in all departments probably because it's so like abstract first yeah and then you have to make it something tangible yeah and if you can make this the cerebral part match the actual thing the yeah. instinctive thing that's hard it's funny because I was just trying to find my my notes there on you know what the when I'm you know when you're watching it you try and not to be lost to take away the moment of being in the film but trying to scroll down some notes whilst you're watching sort of thing and the cue over answer message was was one that I wrote down sort of thing it was just kind of like like literally like a sucker punch but then also the one of the things that I wrote down was the cue over the dancing scene in the wasteland and the build of that for me almost reflected the warmth and growth of their relationship in a way I love that cue as well thank you that 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 was like a moment when they they really connect there and they're really so it's like it's you're allowed to have that release I think and it's just joyous and the way it's shot as well it's so great
voice note part you were talking about like charlotte had the brilliant idea and, and she really pushed me on this that in the tower room scenes that come before yeah in the rooms where she's playing she's like can we not see some of the voice note stuff into the music make it part of the music but have it be like a rhythmic aspect in those wow. scenes as like a foresh- foreshadowing and also like as if we're being in her head it's like she hasn't heard it yet but it's like so when it, we arrive at that scene it's like you've heard it even though you haven't but and I was like how are we gonna do that and it took me forever because I needed to like arrive at the same place of thinking as Charlotte was saying which she was so right and I was like yes you're right but we need to make it so that it's like unintelligible it needs to have the feeling of all of that stuff and so it's like we've heard it but we can't hear the words so that it can be identified as music but then it becomes this like loop you hear it once you're like what is that twice what is that but then three times and there's this psychoacoustic effect of like you hear the pulse of it you know and it becomes again linked to her grief and and all of that stuff and then so when you do arrive at the end you're like it's new but you've heard it already three times but you just yeah. didn't realize line where she says um i didn't think that i needed you yeah, i mean that's the killer yeah <laughs> oh my god and then but then you have yeah. that she, i mean lola's performance i talked about this with charlotte is just i mean what a find this kind of little firecracker she's extraordinary her comedic timing is is genius you know when they're trying to steal the bikes and they're kind of trying to defer and she's like do you want me to be honest you know when, she, when they're saying <laughs> <laughs> and then things like who said you could use the washing machine you know just her yeah. comedic timing is just and then I need someone and it's like oh god she's just got the the gravitas on those two sides not everybody can do that in adults do you know what I mean in terms of hit that emotional heart without overplaying it and then also the timing on that comedy and this little girl just nails it it's incredible and it's like and she's like she's amazing in real life too, but like to do that on set in an improvisational 
landscape or environment with mm -hmm. like heavy hitting actors around you and, and like not being faced with, I mean, she's a kid obviously, so that helps. But also testament to Charlotte, her vision, the casting, like how she gave them space and Absolutely. how she could see the film. She could see the whole film yeah. as she was doing it. And I notice it in like little things too, because I've seen the movie like a thousand times, right? It's not always the case, but it's one of those films that the more you watch it, the more you love it. Yeah, and, absolutely. And that's that's special. She's terrible at taking compliments, Charlotte. I tried to give her a few when we were doing the interview. She wasn't having any <laughs> of it because that was one of the things I said yeah. to her is that you you created a safe space for you know these young people to do and give the performances they gave. If they weren't in an environment that they felt safe in, supported, you wouldn't have got that out of them. So it's down to you and your team to that you provided that. She wasn't having any of that. <laughs> this guy she like... deflects those. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And w just with regards to the kind of, you know, the, there are a few needle drops in there as well. And is that something you have to be aware of in terms of, because I know that there was the, with the streets track, there was the hope that they could get that. And she also talked about dry your eyes, mate. And this weird little scene that was nearly in the film with the spiders that then didn't make it in sort of thing. I want to see that as a short film though, because that just sounds brilliant. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, do you kind of do you bear that sonically those those songs in mind in terms of where they sit and where and when your your scores around it? Yes, massively because on this one normally it depends. Like because sometimes you need respite from score, I think, in order to like change the dynamics of the oral landscape of a film, so it can be super good. You know, I'm not talking about technical things like key relationships yeah. and going in and out, but like. But like on this one, because the opening of the film was recut quite a few times, like I actually scored the opening at one point in a different way and it was working good, but this is so much better how they have it now. And if you come in strong with the streets track, it's like, wow, that's like a hell of a track to open it strong, bold, cue num music cue number two. Like how's <laughs> yeah. that going to like hold up again? You know, like it's, they're going to be like, uh, you should stick to the songs, you know, <laughs> like, no. like, but it's, we found the balance, I think, ultimately by sort of like really playing with the scale of things yeah. there and how, how long we take to arrive at what the, that language is. real conversation that we had and, and a lot of back and forth so on this one that was a big consideration and the end track uh, which is amazing i played around with that actually in order to make it flow out of my cue so i i had quite a lot of sort of input on that one and because there was something in there and i was it's like can you send me the wrong track and i was like how about this instead and and did a, like a little thing and they're like yeah that's wicked great 
So um, amazing. That was cool and unusual, actually. What's next um, that you can tell I've us about? Got... A lot of the time, it's like, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I I just finished a TV series on Netflix called The Heart of Invictus, which was oh yeah, a blast. And I did a movie called The Boogeyman as well, just recently, which was in cinemas in June. But I now have with the same director as Invictus, um, Orlando again. He asked me if I wanted to work on a couple of projects which he has coming up soon. And the th amazing thing about Orlando is he sends like the ideas and pictures and like stuff way early, so I can start to like yeah. think about it, but without the pressure of like having to dive in straight. And yeah. I think that's the sort of most fertile creative ground is when there's not too much pressure. But because I have like a slight moment of time here, I'm like maybe I should start diving into my second solo album. Yeah, which I'm For very you. excited about and yeah, because I've been working on a lot of stuff recently and been very busy. Um, and I just had had a kid. She's like one, oh, and so like I, thank you. And so I, it'd be nice to do something where like I can just run it, sort of like yeah. at my own pace, and yeah. and sort of like explore that. I don't know. It's an itch that comes up after every few years. But I mean, I love scoring films. It's my, my number one and my favorite thing. But I, I've I've got all these voice memos on my phone, like hundreds of them. So I'm just going through them and saying, no, crap, 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 crap. Ah, oh, interesting. <laughs> There's like two bars in there. Crap, 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 crap. Ah, oh, one bar. Okay, and then <laughs> I'll narrow that down to like 50, and then that, I want to get that down to like 10, and then we'll see then where you got an see album. How it goes. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I mean, they're not, they're just like me singing into a phone, so it needs to be like reproduced. Got to start but, somewhere. Um, you know, they all start yeah, with some that, kind of inspiration or, yeah. That's, that's me. That's what I'm up to next. Brilliant. Oh, I look forward to it, Patrick. I also look forward to you working with. Charlotte again and um, whether that's her basketball movie or her western I'll watch anything she makes to be honest so yeah <laughs> or her next uh, Born Ultimatum uh, movie exactly or, yeah. oh my yeah, god yeah. she would be so great at that so good oh listen thank you <laughs> so spiders, much for your... yeah. yeah exactly Born Ultimatum with spiders yeah and horses I'm there thank you for your time and congratulations again it's great to chat to you and it's great to to, to meet you as well thank you so much you too. Thank you so much. All See you right. later. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.
442 Scrapper, that's Can't Sleep, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Patrick Johnson. A huge thanks to Patrick for taking the time to talk to us and also helping us out with a few things as well when it came to music. Scrapper is now streaming on home ends formats. If you haven't seen it yet, you must. It will enrich your life. It is just such a beautiful, brilliant, funny, heart-wrenching film. And even if you have seen it, then I can tell you from personal experience it stands up to multiple viewings. Check out my chat with Charlotte Regan by heading to edithbowman.com along with every other single episode of the podcast, including Charlotte's DOP cinematographer, Molly Manning-Walker, who we had on last week's episode talking about her film, How to Have Sex. And you can follow us on socials. We're at Soundtracking UK and subscribe to our YouTube channel for loads of extra content, including, I say this with slight trepidation, considering what happened with the Talking Heads chat, but I am due to be talking to none other than Mr. Tom Hiddleston tomorrow to have a little bit of a chat about Loki too. So I thought I would stick it up exclusively on our YouTube channel. So why not get subscribing now in anticipation of the arrival of that? Let's just hope it happens. Uh, Next up on the podcast, we are bringing you the first of my live shows. Uh, If you aren't aware, we've just launched a wonderful project with Everyman Cinemas, where we're going to be running lots of great events, uh, ideally up and down the country. Our first few are happening in London. In fact, this time tomorrow, we will be hosting our second one, which is American Symphony, a phenomenal film directed by Matthew Heineman. And it follows John Batiste and his wife, Salika, through some pretty life-changing experiences um, and that will be coming soon a future episode but next week's episode is our first film club that we held with Emerald Fennell talking Saltburn and then I also managed to record a separate chat with her composer Anthony Willis so next week's episode is a Saltburn celebration and in fact Saltburn is out in cinemas this coming Friday the 17th of November get along and see it and then join us next week for the episode with Emerald and Anthony telling us all manner of things about the creation of this fabulous film. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>